If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You are listening to the world's number one fitness, health, and entertainment podcast. This is Mind Pump. Okay, today's episode, we answered fitness and health questions that were asked by our audience. But the way we opened the episode was with a intro portion where we talk about current events, we bring up scientific studies, we have fun debate and discussion. The intro portion today was 48 minutes long. After that, we got into the questions. Here's a rundown of today's episode. Here it is. We opened up by talking about the CrossFit controversy on YouTube. We posted up a video on YouTube. It's getting lots of comments. Say that three times fast. So we wanted to, can't, I can't do it. Can't even do it one time. Uh, So we wanted to address it a little bit and just kind of dig our heels in the dirt. So you'll love that part. Uh, Then we talked about uh, hip thrusts versus squats. The study comes out, uh, came out comparing the two to see which one builds bigger butt muscles. Mm, Thrusters or squatters. Yeah, so interesting stuff there. Uh, Then we talked about Adam cutting out caffeine. He's actually uh, back on caffeine. He did it for about a week. But during the cut, he introduced Organifi's red juice to take off the edge. Now, the Organifi red juice is an energy-producing supplement, but it doesn't have any stimulants. So it's a great substitute for caffeine. It's got cordyceps and rhodiola in it. Um, and of course, Organifi is a company we work with, so you get a discount if you want to try the red juice or anything else. Go check them out. Go to Organifi.com forward slash Mind Pump and then use the code Mind Pump for a discount. Then we talked about the Copper Scrolls treasure map. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess there was a they found some more gold maybe, huh? Well, I don't know. They haven't found any gold. Crazy. Yeah. Then we did some speculation on the housing market. You know, we're trainers, but we're also experts at everything that we talk about. Yeah. Uh, then we talked about Justin eating salmon. Good job, buddy. I'm trying, you guys. He got it from ButcherBox. ButcherBox uh, delivers grass-fed meats to your door, but they also have wild salmon. ButcherBox is a great company. We love working with them. And uh, if you listen to Mind Pump, Use this code to get some free stuff. Go to Wild Salmon. Go to butcherbox.com forward slash mind pump and get free ground beef for life. Two pounds for free. Crazy, crazy stuff. Then we got into the questions. Here's the first one. This person wants to know how much of their daily protein intake they can eat in one meal. In other words, can I eat it all in one meal or do I need to split it up? The next question, this person wants to know if massage helps promote muscle growth. The third question, this person wants to know if we have any muscle building tips for teenagers. And the final question, this person wants to know what we think of functional patterns on social media and their stance that weightlifting does more harm than good. Of course, we disagreed with that, so you have to listen to that part of the episode to hear why we disagree with that. Um, Also, we are running a promotion this month. Two programs are 50% off and one bundle is 50% off. The programs that are on sale are MAPS HIT, that's High Intensity Interval Training. The other program is MAPS SPLIT, that's a bodybuilder workout program. And then the bundle is the bikini bundle. All of them 50% off. Go check them out. Go to mapsfitnessproducts.com and use the code SPRINGBREAK. Which one of you guys started the fire on YouTube uh, with all the trolls? Ooh, what? We didn't Who start the fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was great... always burning since the world been turning. Mm-hmm. We're going to blame it on Justin. Why? Yeah. Which Good. one? What are you the, talking about? The CrossFit Good. one is going Oh, I see. Of course. Of, what do you mean, which one? Of, of course it's going nuts right now. Yeah, of course. We mm-hmm. knew that was going to happen. Yeah, you know what? That's I, where they hang out, apparently. You know what I, I find? You, you know what's funny to me is, okay, so I guess uh, if I had to identify with a modality of training, it would be 
bodybuilding if i had to like if i right. had, if you had to put you me were forced right if you were if you were to put me in a category of how i train most often or what i what mm. i gravitate towards the most it would be bodybuilding which i find it funny that people get insulted and they feel the need to defend crossfit when we talk about these things it's like if you were to talk shit about bodybuilding as oh it's a terrible way of lifting and like I That's wouldn't, who I am. Right. I wouldn't feel I, I wouldn't feel the need to like come rescue it and well, be like, well, that is so wrong and you don't know what you're talking me. about, well, Sal. There's one thing to attack. Talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, here's the deal. Yeah. Okay. It's it, you have to get more specific. So you could say bodybuilding training sucks. Okay, but why? Why do you say that? Yeah. And then if someone sits down and lists, well, if you constantly isolate muscles, you create maybe some dysfunction, it's aesthetic focused. So you don't focus so much on mobility and on functional strength and movement. Those are actual good critique. They can be very good. Absolutely, critiques. and say you know we talk about how many people get into the gym because they're insecure about their body, and I could make the case that you know training for aesthetics and you know using the mirror and the way you look as your main motivator is actually a terrible way for most people to train right. and most clients that I train. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't get offended by that. No, no, I, I, I poke you, holes in every uh, method that's out there. Look, look, but only when we talk about that one. Okay, here's this is what it reminds right. me of. Years ago, I don't know, this is probably, I think it was 1994, I want to say. I remember I was watching TV, and this commercial comes on TV, and it's like this cartoon character, and he's like punching the ground, and it's like ultimate fighting championship. Oh, I remember that. Find out which martial art is the toughest, yeah. boxing versus judo, taekwondo versus karate. And it was like this huge debate back in the day. When I was a kid growing up, you'd yeah. watch martial arts movies. And it was always kung fu versus karate or boxing. Yeah. And it was this huge debate. Which style yeah. is the Who's most effective? Who's going to use the five-finger death punch? Yeah. And you know what we ended up figuring out through mixed martial arts? That that all of them have strengths and all of them have weaknesses. Right. And the best- And um, guess who the biggest badasses are? The, the ones that can do all of them. The, the yeah. one that yeah. utilizes the strengths right. and, and nullifies the weaknesses. Okay. Similar with training modalities. Mm -hmm. Does yoga have strengths? that are superior to other forms of modalities. Yes. Does yoga have weaknesses? Yeah. Absolutely. What about bodybuilding? What about powerlifting? What about CrossFit? What about kettlebell training? All these things have things you can learn from and use together to construct the mixed martial art of training, essentially, for the average person. Now, if you want to be special, let me put it this way, uh, using the same martial arts argument. If you want to be the, the world champion at Shotokan Karate, does it make any sense to train in wrestling no. or devote any time to wrestling? No. No. The sport of Shotokan karate is specifically karate. Your best bet is to focus all your time on karate. So if you want to be the best CrossFit athlete in the world, right. it makes perfect sense to go focus all your time on CrossFit. Same thing with powerlifting, bodybuilding, etc. But if you want to have, uh, you want to train your body, the average person, you want to be fit, well-rounded, your best bet is to take a little bit from each one. And of course, you're going to lean more in one direction than another because of your preferences. Like if you like squatting and deadlifting a lot, you're probably going to do more powerlifting than the other types of lifts uh, or, or modalities. But you can take a little bit from, from each yeah, one. Yeah, but of those. We, we've done what, 1,500 episodes? And we've poked holes in every modality. Every modality. Yeah. We shit on everything. But only when we talk <laughs> about that one do we get this, 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 the feedback is crazy. Well, it's always a, people that get so butthurt there's a, there's about a bit, talking about CrossFit. There's a bit of a cult. Uh, yeah. A bit? Yeah. A bit Come a, on, Jesus. Know. It's ridiculous. Well, and here's the thing. Because people will say things like, oh, I, you know, I work out at a CrossFit box and the way that they train, they teach technique and they focus a lot on form 
and it's very appropriate to the person's level, and there's lots of individualization of the training. My question yeah. for those people you mean is functional training. Yeah. Well, well, my question is always this: What makes a form of training CrossFit? Right. What are the things that make it CrossFit? Yeah. Please define it. To my best estimation, and I'm pretty good. I know this. I know I, I, I understand CrossFit quite well, and I know you guys do too. To my best estimation, what makes something CrossFit literally is the sport of CrossFit, training for the sport. Other than that, mm-hmm. what they're utilizing are deadlifts, squats, presses, cleans. They're running. They're doing exercises and yeah. doing them all right doesn't make it CrossFit. What makes it CrossFit is when you make it the sport of CrossFit. And even if you want to go into the modality of it, uh, they've pulled from every other functional training method that already existed. So it's like this culmination of all these other training, uh, you know, methods out there that, um, you know, does have legitimacy into it. But uh, what makes it CrossFit is the intensity. It's the competition of it. It's the actual sport of it that, uh, you know, differentiates it from everything else. I right. think it's the feeling of superiority that I love to just poke at because that I think they think that sure. many people that take it believe that. And we now, mind you, there's a lot of people that listen to Mind Pump also do CrossFit, are in our community or in our forum <laughs> that are not like that, that are yeah. like understand the points, but they, and they can say, hey. I like doing it. I love the community. It's I've been very consistent with it. I totally hear all the points that you guys make. I yeah. try and make adjustments into my routines and add mobility days and do things like that. But yeah, I totally get it. But it doesn't mean we're telling people don't do it. It's just when we think I, when I talk on this podcast, the person I think I'm talking or who I'm trying to communicate to are the people that I trained for 20 years. Yeah. Those people. Yeah, average person wants yeah, to get in shape. Yes, mm-hmm. not the supreme athlete. Who who is who is trying to compete in CrossFit? I mean, by all you should be doing that if that's what you want to do. I'm talking about you know Susie, who's 55, had three kids, tried to lose weight 20 for the last 20 years, yo-yo dieted most of her life. Which, by the way, this is like 70 percent of the clientele that would come through the door of a gym that would hire a personal trainer. That's who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking to you, 20 year old kid who's in great shape, great mobility, and, <laughs> and you know well, ne- don't have weight and, issues. And there was a comment you. in there where one guy's like, "I lost, I think it was I don't remember, what it was like 80 pounds doing CrossFit. There, you know, therefore it's amazing." Well, okay, let's let's re- let's just use something else. I lost 80 pounds playing basketball. Yeah. I lost 80 pounds crash dieting, playing soccer. I, I lost 80 pounds doing jujitsu. Does that make it the best form? Maybe for that person. Look, if you love it and it's working for you, actually, I'm never going to argue against that, right? Yeah. Uh, unless you're getting lots of injuries, unless you're you know, complaining about problems. I'm not going to argue that. It's, it's obviously worked for you. It's obviously brought you more benefit than good. Yeah, but you got to be even careful saying that because the sustainability of it, You as a, as a coach that's experienced, you know that. Like right. somebody could have easily right. I don't recommend so, any hardcore sports for weight loss. Yeah, I mean somebody could have easily lost eighty pounds by you know grossly reducing their calories and running five miles every single day, right. and just because they liked doing that during that time and that's got them those results. Me as a, a professional would still not recommend that as an ideal way because right. what I know is the sustainability of that long-term. It's just not realistic. Most people okay, will not run five miles a day and eat 1,300 calories forever. And so even if it did work for you and you mm-hmm. do like doing that, that's the problem that I have well, with Well, you know what the issue is? And you guys, we see this in uh, in diet culture as well. If somebody does something and it, it gets them to lose weight and change the way they look or the way they yeah. feel. They're a fervorous evangelist at that point. Yes, they're they're so married to it. So you could talk to talk to anybody who's lost a lot of weight doing keto or going vegan or paleo or whatever, cabbage juice diet, whatever. 
And what you'll you'll get is a somebody's very religious about what they just did. Well, I mean, you could bring it instead of diet, bring it back to training modalities. Sure. People get the same way with that. That's why there's a community of power lifters. There's a commu- there's a community of CrossFitters. A cr- community of bodybuilders. And so it's no different. I'm ta- I talk to them the same way. It's like I mean, that when I was bodybuilding one of the biggest flaws that I saw in my peers was that's the way they always trained. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, you guys know that if you just moved out of this, you know, super setting, isolation exercise, pumping exercises all the time, you would see huge benefits if you power lifted for a little while. Yeah. Like and, you have no idea. And that's actually a great, a great point is that even if you are extreme in one of the sports, there are some things you can learn. It doesn't have to be a ton, but there are some things you can learn that will also benefit you. For example, Bodybuilders that take from powerlifting, uh, they build more muscle as a result of doing that. Some of the best yeah. powerlifters in the world, excuse me, bodybuilders in the world were powerlifters at one point. Ronnie Coleman uh, is, a, is a great example of that. Um, you know, you could do that for most of these modalities. And I think you're doing yourself a huge disservice when you put yourself in this camp and it's us versus them mentality because you're no longer open to growth. You're no longer open to progress or even just seeing what's not working for you. Make no mistake, when you get stuck in a in a mentality, you can actually do yourself a, a, a quite a bit of harm. I'll, I'll, I mean, going back to the diet thing, I can't tell you, I would get messages from people, especially when we first started the podcast, I get messages from people who are like, hey, Sal, I've been doing keto for for four months. I feel terrible. I'm very constipated. When is, when is my body going to transition? When's it going to start feeling good? Like it's not. It's been four months. It's not working for you. But because they're so stuck on this camp that they're ignoring their body signals. You see this with training too. Hey, Sal, I lost 40 pounds doing CrossFit, you know, but I had to get, you know, a shoulder injury. You know, I I feel really run down. You know, I got my testosterone levels checked. It's down. So, you know, when is that going to start to reverse? Well, maybe that's the wrong modality for you right now. Well, it's it's, it's literally everything we've learned over the past year or two is is how tribal everybody is is and, and how much they don't want to hear a counterpoint or, or invite a discussion of, you know, uh, admitting that there may be some flaws, you know, in the methodology. They don't want to like examine that and, and think critically about things. Yeah, I know. It yeah. cracks me up though. Yeah, it's it always, it always cracks me up. And I yeah. think, I think part of me likes to, of to, course. to trigger it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It's like, let's start this conversation. Yeah. Because I feel like we, again, we've talked about all the other modalities in this podcast, but nobody brings that up. Everybody's like, Oh, these guys talk shit about CrossFit. It's like, bro, <laughs> we talk about every modality yeah, every and everybody is and by the, way, by the way everyone is just as guilty of gravitating towards one modality and sticking to it i mean that was a lot of the motivation of starting the show was that we wanted to break those barriers yeah, and right. teach the average person that there is something to take from power lifters there is something to take from kettlebells there is something to take yeah, from crossfit it's yoga. easier to stay in that one uh, train of thought in, in that that same pattern because your it's your body like it, it likes that i, I want to keep doing what i like to do i don't want to challenge and myself. I get I get it. We're the same way too. We're just as guilty. It's a human condition. Yes. When yeah. I assess the way we all train, we all tend to gravitate towards the things we like most. But I'm we're all aware of it. And yeah. we all know, like, okay, it's been a little while. I've been pushing the weight too much. I need to get out of here, go into my bodybuilder way, or I need to go mobility focused. Right. Or hey, I'm gonna pull the kettlebells out and get working on some rotational stuff. Like, so yes, I mean, I'm just as guilty too, but I'm I'm also aware enough to be okay that when someone you know, points out one of those modalities as having flaws. I don't get attacked personally. Like it's, you're coming after, <laughs> after me. You're like, all I can say is like, yeah, you're right. That is a flaw in that training modality. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look again to just to hit the other side. 
for as long as I've been in, in fitness professionally, which is over two decades, and non-professionally, which is much longer, uh, no strength modality at all was able to get people to squat and deadlift and to use bumper plates. None. Bodybuilding failed at that. Powerlifting failed at that. Weightlifting failed at that. It was CrossFit. It was CrossFit that literally got people to squat and to deadlift and to use platforms. Before that, you mm-hmm. could you would not find a platform. They in, certainly didn't invent it, though. No, you would not <laughs> find it in any gym. And you would not. And, and literally, I would manage these 40,000-square-foot facilities. There would be one squat rack, and nobody yeah. would use it. And deadlifts, God forbid you saw a deadlift, people would freak out. So CrossFit single-handedly, that's why I'm grateful for CrossFit. It single-handedly got people to do some of the most effective exercises known to man. Does that mean yeah. I can't critique some of the other shit? Yeah, Absolutely. Now not. evolve and be better. Yeah, I mean, that can't. <laughs> that's all I'm so, asking. All right, since we're on the, the training uh, uh, tip here, um, so a study came out, here's some more controversy, comparing two exercises for blood, for, for glute development, for butt muscle development. Blunt. I know, blunt. blunt I was say, blunts. For, for, for butt development, it was the hip, hip thrust, thrust and what? And the barbell squat. Ooh. Ooh. So yeah. they compared the two to see, okay, which one builds more mass in the glutes. And the tr- and believe it or not, the design of the study was actually quite good. Yeah, let me hear it because there's this a-, a Brett Contreras study. No, it wasn't. And okay. you know, okay, I'll have to pull it up to get to give you those details. Has Brett commented on it yet? Um, Since I know this is his wheelhouse. This is a relatively new this is a relatively new study that came out, but it said and, it, and literally it was not bad. On weeks ready for this. So this is this is what they did for for both groups. They took two groups of women and they, they one group did squats, the other group did uh, hip thrusts. On weeks one, five, and nine, the women did 12 to 15 reps with 30 to 60 seconds of rest. On weeks two, six, and 10, the women did four to six reps with three to four minutes of rest. On weeks three, seven, and 11, the women did 10 to 12 reps with one to two minutes of rest. So they periodized you know, well. So yeah. they did a good job. For both, ca- okay. Yes, so it was not not bad design, right? right. And the whole thing was 12 weeks long. So it's it's a short, relatively short study, yeah. three months long. But I mean, you know, most studies are that long, right? Yeah. So over that over that course, here's what they ended up finding. They ended up finding that the the squat, ready for this? The squ- both exercises saw growth in their quads and glutes, but the squat led to more than double the glute growth. What? Twice Ooh. as much muscle in the butt, and then of course expected six times more quad growth. So obviously the quads right. way more growth way with more the squats, involved. but twice as much growth in the butt from doing a barbell squat. Oh my yeah. goodness. Now now here's like what we've been arguing. Yeah, we we've been saying this for a long time that the barbell squat is the best glute exercise generally speaking right. for most people. But however, there are cases where the hip thrust is probably better. For example, people who's quad dominant. Quad dominant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're getting twice as much butt growth but six times the quad growth. So that was if a, you're all quad no butt. This is what I was going to ask or poke holes in that study is yeah. that we're assuming that I'm a, and based off of this study for sure these the ladies that were squatting had good mechanics because if they at all had if they had any sort of issue like that where they're quad dominant you would see a huge discrepancy in that for sure yes and then then what you might see and that's where case by case this matters somebody who actually was doing an isolation exercise like a hip thrust for the glutes would see potentially more results from that because they don't know how to activate their glutes in a squat as well yes if you're somebody whose butt you just don't activate very well when you squat you don't feel it very much your quads respond your butt doesn't mm-hmm. a hip thrust might be a great exercise by the way they're both great exercises if they had a third group 
and they compared the third group to the other two groups, and the third group did, did both and hip thrusts. Yes. Oh yeah. Then you'd see the most uh, glute right. growth in my in my. It's very complementary to squat. I yes. mean, and that's the thing, and like that's a great point in terms of the quad dominant uh, type of situation where you're recruiting already heavily uh, from the quads. You know, it's it's just uh, inevitable that you're going to have more growth in that direction. Yeah, and that's very common, especially yeah. with a, a a female client that is coming to you to build their butt. They, they I, probably I, have that issue. I would say more than half the time when I got a client like that that came to me and said, Adam, I've been trying to build my butt forever, and I just all it does is get my legs more developed at least half the time. But that what was the we issue. know with the squat is just like you have to produce a lot more force to pull off that movement. And so you have to actively recruit a lot more muscle fibers to uh, generate this type of force and get involved. And so that's what creates this louder signal, which growth it, well, has more potential. Not to mention, too, you've got, you know, you got three parts of the butt, and part of that is stabilizing the hips. And there's a lot more hip stabilization when, you're, go when you're going into a deep squat than there is in a more of an isolated exercise like a hip thrust. And the, the, the most glaring difference is the range of motion. Your, your glute yes. range of motion and hip thrust is half mm -hmm. what a full squat is. It's a very full it range of motion. It just hinges, really. Right. It's almost an isolation exercise. If you, I mean, your knees I are I mean, involved. I consider it. A, I consider Even though it's technically not, I consider hip thrust an isolation Yeah, it's exercise. much more, right? The knee, knee extension is minimal. It's mostly hip, yeah. right? But they're both awesome exercises. But it's a great study because they designed it very well. They compared the two groups. They did good periodization. And what they found is what we've experienced with our clients the barbell squat is the king of, of butt building uh, or just lower body exercise in general. But let's say you're a woman. By the way, a lot of the way your body looks isn't just your absolute you know, muscle size. It's also your proportions, right? So, so let's say you want your butt to grow. Sometimes, even if you make your butt grow a little bit, but your legs are smaller in comparison, now it looks like you have a more balanced looking butt on your physique. Now we're talking more of a you know, like what you would, how you would judge a bodybuilder or a bikini competitor. Right. So in something like, if, if you're a woman, you're like, I don't want my legs to grow or sculpt at all. I just want to grow my butt. A hip thrust might be, uh, you know, your, your prime exercise. Well, I mean, that would be, yeah. an example would be like, we were just, we were just mentioning that, you know, over half the clients that I got that came to me that way, they would be an example of, okay, I don't, I, I can't take that girl who just came to me and said, Adam, I keep developing my legs and I can't develop my butt and I'm not going to throw her on a barbell back squat right mm -hmm. away. That's not what I'm doing with her. I'm doing exercises to help her get connected to the glutes, which that's where hip thrusts are incredible for. I mean, talk about such a great exercise for somebody who never feels, you know, butt exercises in their butt. You're going to feel your butt in hip thrusts for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I, I've been doing them relatively regularly for the long, actually the longest period I've ever done hip thrusts. I know, uh, I have a hard time watching you do that. I know. It gets you, makes, gives, <laughs> you, don't, gives I mean, you a weird boner. Yes, it's, um, just, it's just weird. <laughs> don't make eye contact. I, uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the carryover that I'm seeing for uh, squats and deadlifts is quite awesome. It's a, it's definitely an additive. Now I would exercise. think deadlifts. I, I I would think it would have mm -hmm. a lot of carryover. Especially on that lockout. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I would think deadlifts. It would have a, a, a massive carryover. Maybe more a little more bit. into my deadlifts than my squat. But okay. you know, here's the thing about squats, dude. If my squat goes up, my deadlift goes up almost every single time. Hmm. So every, anything I do that makes my squat better, my deadlift goes up. In fact, I can not deadlift, get stronger my squat, go grab a bar in three weeks or four weeks and see that my deadlift. Oh, interesting. Up. Yeah, I, not the other way around. If I just train deadlift, my squat. I, you know, I've never paid attention to that. That's interesting. Yeah, and I don't know if that's for everybody. But I think it's it's relatively common. It's uh, It definitely is uh, for me. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you, Adam, uh, I know you're doing the, the reduction in caffeine and you've been using the, the red juice more consistently? Yeah, I just stopped, actually. Okay, so you how long did you do that for? A week. 
Yeah, about a week. About a week. So it, today, your first caffeine day back. Well, technically, it was yesterday. Okay. Yeah, okay. technically, I was back on on caffeine again yesterday. So, so tell us, so, so you survived. So what was the pro- so amazing? How did it feel going off using the red juice? Because the red juice has no stimulants, but it's got the rhodiola and the cordyceps. So I should be okay. I, I need to, I guess, clarify too. I don't full. I didn't fully go off, and sometimes mm-hmm. I do this. Sometimes I do go completely off caffeine. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just reduce it down to my cup of coffee in the morning. Right, so I love. That's part of my routine. I li- like Justin. I like to first thing when I wake up. I like the smell of the coffee in my house. I like mm-hmm. sipping on it now on my drive over here. So, and really, when you're talking about a cup of coffee, what are we talking about? Sixty to a hundred milligrams of caffeine. Depends how big it is. Yeah, yeah it's just a, it's a normal coffee cup. Yeah. It's not like a probably around a hundred. Yeah, yeah, you know, so sixty to a hundred milligrams of caffeine. But where I, where I can get really out of control is the the rock star, which is two hundred twenty milligrams, and then the pre workout, mm-hmm. which is like another two hundred fifty mm-hmm. milligrams. You're talking about 500 more milligrams. Yeah. And that's kind of my peak, right? Like a coffee, a rock star, and a pre-workout in a day. And yeah, I'm, what's a nitro? Is that like 200? To, depends to, on the size. Yeah. Yeah, but it's typically stronger because it's cold brew. Okay. And when they cold brew it, uh, more of the caffeine, because they let it sit yeah. in the, in the right. cold water. So sometimes- so I'm, I'm riding high. So depending on how long <laughs> I've been riding high, uh, sometimes I'll go completely off for like a week. Sometimes I'll just reduce all the way down to my cup of coffee, and then I'll reintroduce things. So what I did this time was actually only just reduce down to the cup of coffee. I eliminated the 200 milligram, either pre-workout or Rockstar mm-hmm. or, or post you know drinks like that. And I replaced with just the red juice. When I do that, you know, it's not, it, I don't feel that bad. You know, you, you've talked, Sal, before, like you're so sensitive to caffeine and mm-hmm. when you get hot, you go up high and then you come off, like you feel miserable. That's because I go cold, cold turkey. Yes, yeah, 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 I don't like that. I'm going to do what you did. I'm going to do it with the red juice. I've done it before and I do notice that it does take the edge off because what sucks when you go off caffeine cold turkey is you literally feel like shit. Yeah, I'd get a headache from that. If I, I, if I, I went from the- You do? Yeah, yeah. I would get a headache from going that So I don't get a headache. I just feel depressed for like a day or two. It's mm. actually very nasty. Like yeah. I feel irritable and just- ugh. What's awesome though is that, so I did that and then today I had two cups of coffee and I'm flying. Yeah, now you're on fire. Yeah, no, flying off of yeah. two cups of coffee you, where I was, I barely would feel two cups of coffee. You see they have the individual packets now? Yeah, I saw that. So that's good. I like this and I like the new packaging that they put. So it's got the cordyceps and the, the rhodiola in there, a little bit of beet juice. And do you think the cordyceps is part of what is mitigating the coming off the... Explain that. Any I'm- adaptogen, theoretically, which cordyceps you could classify as an adaptogen, will help with your body dealing with uh, any kind of stress, which would include um, you know, coming off of a, a stimulant like caffeine, because caffeine increases circulating levels of uh, catecholamines, right? So you go off. I guess technically you could say it's kind of a stress. So yes, it might help. I think it's more the rhodiola. Oh. The rhodiola is a by itself, which is funny because I don't better. like rhodiola. In high doses, neither do I. Hmm. Yeah, if I take too much, I'm. You know, this is. It's. I'm like this with ginseng. You ever take ginseng? I have, but I don't think I've ever paid attention to like how it makes me. Not feel. Siberian ginseng, but the legit Panix red ginseng, like this, the one that's like they would say it's very yang energy or whatever. Mm-hmm. If I take like a small dose. I actually get good energy from it. I take a big dose of it. You, you ever buy those? You ever see those like, they're like glass vials at the health food store. 
they look the same. They've been around forever, and they're in that box. You know what I'm talking about, right, Doug? And you put the little straw in there. That's a strong-ass dose of ginseng. Yeah. If I do that, and I do that two days in a row, I feel like I have a fever like the next day. I don't do you, feel good. Huh? Same you, thing with rhodiola. Do you remember when we were, we were working with Fit Aid and they had the one, I forget what color it was, which one it was that had the rhodiola in it. Do you mm-hmm. remember? I think it was the teal one. I want to think. I want to say it was that. I don't know if you guys remember or uh-huh. not. But I, I know it had rhodiola. I don't know if it had ginseng too, but I do know that that made me feel like shit. Like down. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes me sleepy. I would take mm-hmm. it, you know, thinking that I'm supposed to feel better and energized because that's what they say you're supposed to yeah. feel from rhodiola. And I would feel actually super tired. Well, you know, I've been tripping out on on, on on pure organifies pure like so is there lion's mane in that because yeah, yeah cuz um you know there's been a bunch of research on like psilocybin and the maps institute and all that has been going through that i just found out like uh the ufc i guess has been making a lot of efforts towards um you know taking fighters through some of their uh, uh you know research on like utilization of maybe microdosing psilocybin in order to uh you know gain some kind of neurogenesis from that and and help you know, help, help rebuild yeah their, and stuff yeah wow yeah their brain health and so like i've been looking into that. i've just been i've seriously I'm addicted. I've, I've been taking it quite a bit, uh, especially before podcasts. But I've noticed that I can recall information a lot easier. Yeah, you got to be consistent with uh, very consistent. Lion's mane works better the longer. We should get back to that. I remember when you were making us when we when we first started working with it and they got the pure. I remember us like yeah. for a while there. Well, you know what's interesting? Time. It's noticeable for me. Back to what you were saying about uh, like the ginseng or rhodiola making. You know, there's this paradoxical effect sometimes with certain uh, compounds. For example. For some people, caffeine, once they hit a certain point, not only does it not make them energized, it makes them sleepy. So have you guys ever experienced well, didn't I, where didn't you go too much and then all of a sudden yep. just makes you tired? Didn't, I, didn't I bring up to you, I thought I read somewhere a long time ago that caffeine technically is supposed to be a downer and the feeling you get of energy is the body fighting against that. It, uh, I can't remember how it works. I read that it, somewhere. And it blocks, it blocks certain yeah. receptors and then it causes a, causes a flood of chemicals that give you more energy. Yeah. Yeah. But, on it, but it's a stimulant, right? Caffeine... But for some people, once they go past a certain amount of mm-hmm. caffeine, this they, to me. they get really, really tired. Yeah. This is true with some with other compounds, uh, uh, benzos, benzodi- uh, which are you know anti anxiety medications like mm-hmm. Xanax. For some people, there's this rare situation where they'll take them. Not only will it not give them relief from anxiety, it can make the anxiety way worse. And then the weird thing is they'll take more thinking it's supposed to help, mm-hmm. and then they'll get fucked up. So this is part of what motivates me to come back off the caffeine is when I notice I start pushing what I just said with the two like rock star or like high caffeine, the pre-workout, and then plus a coffee, mm-hmm. it starts to become, I feel ad- adverse effects from it. Mm. I actually will, sure, instantly when I'm drinking it, I feel it uh, like just makes me normal, maybe a little energy. But then in like two or three hours, I feel super lazy and tired. And then the, even worse, I still have a hard time sleeping. So it's it's like it makes me tired feeling because I have that much caffeine mm-hmm. in me. But because I have so much caffeine in me, I also have a hard time sleeping that night. So it's this awful cycle that I get in when I really push the caffeine high. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's so easy for me to motivate yeah. myself to wing myself or wing myself back yeah. off and do that. You know, it's funny about yeah, wing it. You know, it's funny about about supplements and compounds. There's the ones that help your body improve itself over time. They're not usually as popular because you don't feel them right away, right? Mm-hmm. But they're ones that do improve your body's ability to, you know, either recall information or, mm-hmm. you know, reduce inflammation or whatever. The ones that you usually feel, you'll take and be like, whoa, I really feel this. Typically, your body will adapt uh, in a very short period of time, weeks usually, in a way that make those effects then start to go away. This mm-hmm. is true for 
testosterone boosters, libido boosters, energy enhancers. You'll take them. If you adapt quickly, it's like it's not going to last. Yeah, you say, oh, this this is great. You know, I'm taking this, you know, whatever compound and I have more higher libido or better erections like with long jack or with horny goat weed. But you take it for about you know a month or two, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's, like, it's not working anymore. Yeah. Your body adapts, so it's a good idea to to cycle these things. So I came across uh, something pretty cool. I don't know. You guys probably already know about this. I didn't know about this. Uh, you know how they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, like in these caves, long time ago. Uh, Vaguely, and I mean, isn't that something like old? Those are like books that were not included in the Bible or something. Like that? Well, like so, like most of it was books included in the Bible, oh, okay. but uh, so. They were made out of papyrus and anyways, and they and they lasted. But there was one in there that was like a copper scroll. And so this copper scroll was actually like, um, it basically is outlining 64 different uh, treasures in terms of like gold and silver, like distributed. What? Uh, yeah, in different places. And so they're de- they've been decoding this for years and, and they're, they're starting to kind of deduce it down to actually not being near uh, Israel, but being more towards like uh, Egypt. And so like there's all these like treasure hunters scrambling out to try and find this stuff. Does, do any of these treasure hunters ever find a treasure? Well, I was just gonna- <laughs> That's I know. Good, Yo, I'm serious. Like no, you, there is. There's a couple. There's been one. Ah, oh, man, we were watching this show. It's funny because me and Courtney watched all of these shows, you know, all these ones on Discovery Channel. Like, oh, dude, we hope they find like Oak Island and yeah. like all these things. Like, I love the history that they try and uncover with it, but it's so boring, the shit that they find, right? It's like, oh, I found a nail and let's <laughs> let's go take it to the labs. Like, so what, happen- boring. what happens if you find old gold? Can you keep it and can you then sell it and make money? Or does it get claimed by the country that of origin? Does it go to a museum? I think yeah, you actually have to work that out ahead of time, get a permit and then and then yeah, and then a percentage of it goes to yeah, the the country or uh you know, or they like uh, the I don't know. You work it out with them, and you basically like receive the rest. Yeah, of, you think of the okay. So you what think, happened to possessions nine tenths the law? No, what? Yeah, I don't think that's always true. look. <laughs> okay, let me put it this way. Let's say you find uh, a Da Vinci painting. Like you bought a house in in Florence or something like that. Yeah, and you're just living there, and then you go. And it was included all the furniture. You're, you're gonna one. put you're gonna put a, a pool in the backyard. They start digging. They're mm-hmm. like, oh my god, we found, and you found a, a a painting from Leonardo da Vinci. That ain't yours, dude. That's not going to be yours. It's on my land. Yes, it is. It ain't yours. I don't think it's yours. I think stuff. Certain cases. So actually, that's, state, well, so that's like, not true. Okay, but real estate law. Okay, doesn't work in that America. Way. Yeah, yeah. We actually, you get. I actually, not only do I own that, I own like I think airspace. Right? Yeah, I own the air like up to like fifty yards above my house. And it's such so, a weird thing. That yeah. And, oh, because you and, can build on top and of below. Right. Well, it so, makes sense now, especially with yeah, dr- but, like flyovers. Well, look, and, I so I don't know how it works here in the states, but I do know in Italy that. There were cases where construction workers in Sicily were they were there was a, a company that was building like a hotel or something they were digging. Oops, we found some R- Roman ruins. Done, halted. The state stopped all the construction. Yeah. They're taking over now because we got these ruins. Well, around. I mean, okay, that now that would make sense if this is yeah. like a you know city that is like you know coming in and paving roads or you know. Dem- no, this was dem- a private construction company, like a private owner. Oh yeah, see that's different. I feel yeah, like. that's that's lame, bro. So you, <laughs> what's the what is the point of being a treasure hunter if you got to give your shit up? Like well, people yeah. like you it, must most be, of the time is a waste of time. You it, must like be, Doug just pulled up something about that in terms of like if it's yeah it, like it, the the country will t- like take all of 
the earnings. You so, must, so you must have to already be rich to be chasing a treasure because- And you know, I think too that like if, if it's in the ocean, you have a higher likelihood of keeping a lot of it because it's it kind of gets tricky as to who owns that. Here you go, Adam. Oh my God. There, there you go. Yeah. Hey, you and your, 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 your real estate law can suck it because look at this. <laughs> this is the federal bullshit law. That's what I'm going to call this right. In the US, laws vary by state, but the general conclusion is that going treasure hunting is a waste of time because you likely can't keep it. The Archaeological Resources Protection Act of 1979, of course, states that any archaeological resources found on the land of the state belongs to the government. Boo. So, wow. You know what? How many of these assholes are actually searching and don't even know this law? Yeah. You know what? The, uh, yeah. yes, you know how pissed you would be? Bro, you spent well, like what, they 20 years to go into in museums and all that. Like, uh, so then you, have to be, you have to be wealthy already to That's even boring. consider being well, a, a treasure hunter. I think hunter. this is what you end up doing. You're digging in your land. You're like, oh my gosh, I just found another dead sea scroll. Yeah. You ain't telling anybody. Of course not. You're going to the black market. Who wants to buy this? Yeah. That's what you're probably doing. Of course. Otherwise, you, you ain't making shit off of this. Yeah, yeah that's you know? weird. This reminds me of, it's just, I don't know, it reminded me of it. Did you guys hear about the, there was a, a snorkeler or a diver off the coast of Florida? He was diving. Oh, yes. You brought this up to me. Bro. Was this off air? We talked about this? I, we might I have talked off air. You, yeah, you found the cocaine, right? He found like, like <laughs> I don't know, like 30 bricks of cocaine. They must have dropped it, you know, because uh, yeah. there's always boats or whatever. Yeah, we were speculating what we, what we would do. You were like, oh, I would keep yeah, that shit. Oh, I'm like, <laughs> I was like, no, you wouldn't. Oh, no way. Bro, you just stole some drug dealer. The cartels are monitoring yes, that. Yeah, that's dude. cartel that's drugs, bro. I know, but it's it's a, it, you'd probably be afraid, right? You'd find it and be like, oh, 100% I'd be, I mean, you only, you trade it, you turn it in. 100% you trade it. you going to sell it to? You know, <laughs> somebody might be, keep think, a brick. Yeah, yeah, I only found 29 bricks. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. how many I found. No, I mean, a huge party. The, yeah, the cartel or mafia, whoever's drugs it is, would love to see that it's gone and it that didn't the, get, that the government and it, doesn't and have the, it and the, and the yeah the government the cops don't have it that means there's some average joe out yeah. there with their drugs Dude, they're getting creative I, you. I saw a video the other day of the national guard literally uh they were pursuing a submarine a freaking submarine that was made that the cartel made oh yeah and the submarine was it's not like a full-on submarine it's enough to evade, evade what is radar it? i brought up the documentary before and i can't remember the damn name what you know i our audience is normally gold for this I, there was a documentary on the this guy in miami who started a boat shot speed boats and that he used oh, to, yeah, you'd buy that. these speed boats and they would be like $200,000, what would, would include is the shipment of cocaine or whatever like we that. They call them cigarette boats. And yeah, and they, they made so much money that they, I think the way they ended up getting caught was they ended up buying a submarine. Oh, like a legit yeah. submarine. Yes, like a legit <laughs> submarine. From I the old rem- Soviet Union. Someone's got to help me out with the documentary. Well, in this video, really in this video, they're pursuing the submarine. And again, it's like, it's just under the water. Mm-hmm. So just enough to evade radar, right? right. But you could see like the- You could the, see the top of it. Yeah, and they were- they were following next to it, and the freaking National Guards guys jumped off the boat on top of the submarine, and they're ba- with the butt of their gun. They're banging on the on the on the hatch. Get out! And the guy opens it up, and they're pointing their gun inside. I'm like, oh my god, these guys got balls the size of freaking That's watermelons to do oh that. You know, you uh, you bought a, you brought up real estate, so I got I got I was yesterday. I was uh, reading a bunch of stuff on a, a recent article. Uh, I forget the name. NORAD, I think, is the name of the the article. I really like the stuff that they put out on. They just a lot of analytics. It's a long read, but really good. Interesting fact, right? So I'm all I'm I'm obviously I'm always trying to figure out like time this market like, and and if and there's tons of articles out there on are are we heading for a 08 crash and are is it going to continue to boom through this year right. and like everybody everybody has a debate and argument. Well, and I, I like to look at all the analytics and then make up my own mind what I think is going to happen. Part of the things that are are driving this we know are interest rates, right? Part of why we have this crazy you know 
continued growth in the real estate market is because even though housing prices continue to skyrocket, someone that bought, buys a house today is really not spending that much more money monthly just three, four years ago. Because the interest rates. Because the interest rates right. are so low. So that's part of it. Another thing that's driving it like crazy is in 2018, right? So just two, what, two and a half, three, yeah. two and a half years ago or whatever like that, uh, millennials represented the smallest percentage of home buyers in 2018. Today, they're the greatest percentage mm. of, of home buyers right now. So you have a flood of a generation of people that are now at the age that they can afford to buy that are trying to buy with interest rates at record lows. And in addition to that, inventory is at its lowest since 2005. So when we had that huge boom in 05, mm -hmm. when you, everyone was, so there's not enough real estate interest now, is that rates so high, and we had the most people coming in to buy. Is that because they're preventing the, a lot of foreclosures? And so stuff that's what, it, so mm -hmm. now that was a, that was a theory that I had earlier, like last year, but the truth is, it, it there, we're not going to see foreclosures like we the, the moratorium again. Again, is being told that they're going to lift it again. I think mm -hmm. at the end of this month. I don't remember the exact date. Is. I don't Just know keep if moving it. Yeah, they keep pushing it out, pushing it out. But I don't think it matters. Even if they pull that moratorium, and we're going to have some foreclosures. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's inevitable, right? But I don't think we're going to see this these record amount of foreclosures because much most of these banks. Would banks don't want to foreclose? You have to first understand that, right? A bank it's a loss for them. They yeah. they do yeah. not. They want to keep collecting. They're in the business of collecting interest. Mm -hmm. They do not want to. They're not in the business of. Yeah, that's damage control at that point. Yes, yeah. they absolutely. That's what we saw in like oh eight and oh nine. Like they didn't come get houses for years. They were hoping to work things out. Yeah. So that they don't want. They don't want to get houses. They don't want to collect houses. Right. And so you have to understand that that that's the last resort. And when you have these homes that people bought two, three, four years ago. A lot of people, especially in California, are sitting on two, three, four hundred thousand dollars in equity. Right. They would much rather just extend the loan and say, "Oh, you had twenty-five years left on your loan. No, now you have thirty yeah. again." Well, it is interesting, right? Because because uh, so did you guys see the inflation numbers come out? No. Okay, so inflation is going up, uh, but less than they thought, which is funny how they they judge it. It's like it's up, but it's not as bad as we thought it would be. Mm. Partially because people are not buying stuff as much as they, mm. uh, the, 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 the demand to purchase things, I think people are scared to spend their money is controlling inflation uh, a little bit. Um, and uh, along those lines now, interest rates are going up on mortgages. Not the big ones, right? You said the jumbos. Yeah, jumbos actually. So all interest rates over the last two months. Because when inflation goes up, that's what they tend to do, right? Have, they they yeah. throw up in, in, uh, you know interest rates and all that stuff. Yeah. So it is very interesting. Here's the other interesting thing. When they count inflation, it's funny. They're they'll, they'll take food and gas prices out of the inflation numbers. Oh, it's only we're only growing at this much. Like the two most important things is food and <laughs> the gas. Day -to -day, yeah, necessities. Yeah. But they do expect inflation to start yeah, so to climb the, quite a bit. So the pre the prevailing theory is that we will see uh, interest rates slowly climb. The you, the the banks are, are are guaranteeing that they're not going to raise rates ridiculously. So you're, we're not going. Mm. They're like you were talking about three point one to three point six, right? So that's. Right. That's the the prediction of where it's going to okay. go. So, and the prediction yeah, is that nothing. we're going to still see double digit growth this mm -hmm. year in real estate prices. So, it'll continue to go all the way through summer. It's going to stay hot because inventory is low, interest rates are low, mm -hmm. buy, and there's still more buyers than there are houses. And then we might see a slow up, not a crash or a dip yet, but a slow up to a plateau at the end of this year. Mm. My personal prediction is 2022 is when we're going to start to see the dip mm. because of all those things. I, it's going to give also construction companies, by the way, too, a part of what's caused this 
is the halt on construction companies. Like yeah. With the COVID and everything like that, you couldn't go out and go build a bunch well, of new houses. Have you seen the price of lumber and building materials? Yeah, materials are going way up. That but, too. Oh, exploded because yeah. of the manufacturing. 50% yes. increase. Yeah, yeah, it went down. So that alone will make the, the cost of building new things uh, you know, go through the roof. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting to see what's going to happen. Another thing that they're talking about is, so they have these, these companies that will purchase lots of rentals, and they'll own like... 2,000, 3,000, 10,000 units, and they typically own apartment uh, complexes. This is usually how they, these big companies that own rentals typically invest in multi-unit you know, complexes. But what they're finding now is that these big rental companies, big companies are now moving into the single family home market because so many people want to rent now single family homes. They want a backyard, mm. they want space more than ever before. You, normally, that market of the, of landlords are small small owners. It's not these big companies, but they're finding these big companies are moving into the small family home market, which might drive the price up even more. Well, that's more. why you see it gets snatched up so quick. Yes. You know, something that we were wrong about that we talked about was this this exodus from the um, from urban living to suburban living, mm-hmm. and that we we've seen like all these houses on the outskirts of cities right. increasing. And actually, comparison, like it, when you look at the numbers over decades and stuff like that, it's all relative. So there's a surge in urban just as much as there is oh, a surge I in see. suburban. Uh-huh. It's not It's not, It's not. not out of whack. Hmm. I think a lot of us thought it was and thought, oh my goodness, all these prices it are going- It would have made sense, yeah. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, just as, it's just as hot in urban. So it's not like it, you're seeing this huge difference like you, what we thought earlier, because yeah. we heard, mm-hmm. you know, because all the, of course, the media's, you know, talking about, oh, this mass exodus in San Francisco mm-hmm. and L.A. and everybody's leaving. Uh, not not like what we thought I it mean, was. I mean, I do wonder about those cities, though, like in New York, uh, San Francisco, L.A., like what that market's all going to look like with like all these vacant buildings. Well, rent has gone down quite a bit in San Francisco. Yeah. I know I got I got family that lives over there. And oh, yeah. For the first time ever that they can yeah, remember. Yeah, I was going to say, that's got to be a record. Rent has gone down. I, so. I have another crazy stat there. I want you to look this up because somebody else, this is word of mouth. This is, I didn't read this, so I want to know if this is true. I was told by a client of mine, she said that um, – 0.5% of California is uh, how many uh, millionaires or billionaires, billionaires in the in, in California. So 0.5%. So wait, wait, 0.5% of California is billionaires? Are billionaires. And of that 0.5%, they are responsible for 50% of the taxes paid in California. In California. Of all taxes Gavin paid. Gavin Newsom takes all the credit for that. So <laughs> there's so there's this big fear of like, you know, the Joe Rogans and all these people that are like that are leaving California. Absolutely. On what that could potentially do. See, fact check me here, Doug, because I think it was either 40 or 50%. But that's crazy. Just say, A what point- percentage of California's taxes are paid by California billionaires? There you I go. I guess that would be the best, yeah, yeah, the best way to Google it. But if that's true, that's crazy. Yeah. That that's small, not even a percent of the population. Well, so the way that five percent of the population. It, it, okay, I don't know what that number. I don't know if that number is accurate. But um, if it was, I would believe it because of the way the tax system is designed. It progresses up as a greater percentage. And I mean, look, you, if you pay thirty percent of your taxes and you're a billionaire, or you pay thirty percent of your taxes and you're making a hundred grand a year. In terms of total dollars, way different. Yeah. Way different. So that would make sense to me. Right. It takes thousands of those people to even to, equate to that one absolutely. person. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very wealthy pay a big chunk. I mean, I know we look at their taxes in relative terms. Oh, that billionaire, he only paid, you know, you know, ten, you know, a hundred million dollars, but he's got, you know, hundred, you know, billion dollars or whatever. I get it in relative terms, but in terms of total dollar terms, 
wealthy people pay a huge chunk. Well, it's an of the, interesting just a total dollar. It's an interesting place for California to be in, considering that a lot of these billionaires are tech billionaires, yeah. which doesn't require you to be here. Well, so that's what I find really interesting is that it's different if you become a billionaire and you have a brick and mortar business yeah. that you built in a state. Mm -hmm. It's a total different thing if you built a virtual business or you are a tech company, right? And you have and you have you uh, the yeah. ability to probably move any you state. Can just you just relocate pretty easily. Yeah. Well, have you seen so sometimes states will do that though what, what states will do is they'll entice them to come yeah, over dude. yeah you saw that with tesla. Uh, tesla and oklahoma yeah there's like bidding wars to get those companies you imagine that you're like you're, you're like some successful business person and you're at home and then you're like oh you got a phone call who is it it's the governor of you know virginia huh yeah. get on the phone hey listen uh yeah free if you move over free, here, what free pancakes for the rest of your life yeah. you guys move. <laughs> yeah. i'm sold dude i'm coming oklahoma here we come yeah, yeah, yeah. free pancakes you know what i'm saying oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah but it, you know, back to inflation i think the the so the last time we had big inflation was in the 70s. And look at the interest rates back then. They were double digit because that's how they control it. I think it's fair. It's very, it's more than reasonable to expect that we're going to be getting some crazy inflation at some point. I mean, we've printed, yeah. but okay, this is a it's crazy. In, it's impossible not to. You I, you get one or the other, right? Well, you either get massive inflation or the dollar goes down to being a peso. Well, that's what it's the, like one or the that's other. That's what happens. So, because right. if you look at the total amount of money that exists and that's in circulation, this is the crazy thing. The vast majority of it was literally created recently. The last year. 50%. And that's before, by the way, that's before this $1.9 gets passed. I know. So it was already at 50%. Another 1.9 gets gets passed. Now you're talking like 75% of the money is that also- has ever been created. That's not attached to any sort of good service or labor? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, I know. We're so, just playing with Monopoly yeah. money now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. Wow. We'll see what happens with that. I guess the best way to protect yourself is to buy, I guess, assets that'll rise in value along with the inflation, property being one of them. Yeah, the article actually talked about the, the increase they predict from now to 2025- uh, for rent renters, just the amount of renters that will that are going to be hitting the market is mm. going to be a, a ton. So oh. one thing I want to before I forget, Justin, I overheard you talking about that you're going to be eating salmon. I'm very yeah, proud well, of you. I want to like uh, <laughs> prove you guys wrong. <laughs> I want to show that it, I'm not just all fish sticks. Yeah, <laughs> like, I have more versatility and uh, capabilities here. So. Where'd you get the salmon? Uh, butcher box. Oh, so, it's theirs. Yeah, it's I still box haven't salmon. had that one. You haven't? No, I haven't had their salmon. Doug, I've you I, you do it, don't you? You get the salmon there. Mm -hmm. How is it? It's good. I you mean, like, it's yeah. I don't. I've only had it a couple times, but it was good. Yeah. So this is the first time I'm actually going to smoke it and put it on a Traeger. Ooh. And so yeah, so yeah, Courtney's getting that all ready to go for when I get home. The key with salmon. Right this is Doug taught me this. The key with salmon not to is, overcook it. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's we went undercooked. We went to a restaurant uh, years ago, Doug and I, and dry. He and ordered chewy salmon, and he goes, uh, "I'll have it uh, medium rare." And I'm like, you can order salmon like that? And he goes, absolutely. So I said, I'll do the same thing. Totally different experience. Yeah. When you cook salmon too much, ugh. I know. It's not good. It's so true. You know, it. I just, yesterday I had a, a poke bowl that was with salmon. And it's like, it's raw salmon. I like the taste of that better than I like a, a restaurant salmon that's cooked. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think, I think it tastes really dry. Dry and like pasty. It sticks to your teeth and yes. all that stuff. No, no, no. If you, over, if you cook it the right temperature and then if you season it right and whatever, salmon is absolutely, and then you eat it with rice. Oh. Is that what yeah. you're going to do? Are you going to do that tonight? Yeah, I can have it with rice, yeah. Now, butcher box salmon, that's all wild caught, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. no no farm. No, and so you're going to get a leaner piece of salmon. Yeah. So if you like really fatty salmon, uh, then yeah, you, you're not going to get that with uh, the butcher box. All their meat, obviously, is 
the grass fed, you know, natural kind of healthier varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. Salmon or tuna. I mean, those are the ones like if I have to eat fish, like I'm going to go in that direction. Wow. Oh, wow. Look at this statistic. Wow. So the top fifth of households got 54% of all income and paid 69% of federal taxes. So the top 1%, so the top 1% of income earners paid 25% of all federal taxes. So a full 25%, a full quarter of all taxes in terms of dollars was paid by the top. Now, and that's 1%. all. So this is, I'm that's guessing. federal. Yeah. So this is also, this is countrywide, right? This is not just California. Right. Yes, that's correct. So I imagine that's skewed even more in California because we probably have some, between us yeah, and New York, probably, probably have higher. the most most billionaires. California has the big, one of the biggest uh, wealth disparities that yes. you find anywhere. Yeah. I mean, people, so I, that would cause that number to yeah. be even more skewed. People don't know this, by wow. the way, because people who've never been in California or lived in California, they think California is Silicon Valley. They mm-hmm. think it's LA or San Diego. The truth is California is either really expensive mm-hmm. with lots of people make a lot of money or, or poor or yeah or it's or it's it's like it's the it's like middle middle of the country type you know where yeah, it's like yeah. cowboys and farms well, and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, Central Valley like uh, this is, is ignored by pretty much everybody else like well, it's you, part of California. Yeah, you have Modesto was where I, I grew up in that area and that was actually rated like one of the worst cities in the entire yeah. country. Well, I re- as far as crime, yeah. poverty and like jobs like it was like one of the worst places to well, live. Well, I remember the managing my first gym yeah. in Salinas and I was you know I pretty much stayed in San Jose and went to LA a couple times growing up so I never really went to other areas I remember going to Salinas and seeing cowboys and I was like cowboys are in California they're like <laughs> there's rodeos there dude. they're like actually California has a lot of cowboys they yeah. have a lot of that that yeah. that there's culture a, yeah, it's yeah. just not in San Jose yeah. you know so funny <laughs> by MAPS Anabolic. If you're looking to maximize your overall muscle and strength, MAPS Anabolic is the perfect place to start. With a full 30-day money-back guarantee, there is absolutely zero risk. So what are you waiting for? Go to mindpumpmedia.com and get started today. It's the motherfucking quad. The eagle has landed. First question is from Vitamin C. How much of my daily protein intake can I eat per meal? Oh, all of it. No, I don't know. I don't know how much you can eat. <laughs> Here's the truth with this statement. I know where this question comes from, right? The question comes from these articles uh, and blogs and back in the day it was magazines that said that the body only could assimilate 35 or 45 grams of protein at, at each sitting. Yeah. And that's the most that you could do, which by the way, coincidentally uh, matched the protein servings you'd find in protein powders. Oh, that's strange. And bars, right? Yeah. Imagine a bar with 75 grams of protein. It would be gross, right? So there's like a limit that they put in the, in the bar. But here's the truth. Uh, the truth is whatever protein you eat at one time, you use. Now here's the caveat. How's your digestion? How do you feel? Yes. It, I mean, it, theoretically, uh, you know, it could be 200 grams of protein, but if 200 grams of protein makes you feel sick to your stomach, inflamed, gets you constipated, maybe even makes you throw up, then yeah, that was probably too much for you. Well, actually, more most likely diarrhea. Or diarrhea. Right. I mean, I, I know when I started to push, like, if, especially with like protein, I mean, there was a time when I thought, Wait a second. Why do I? Why don't I just take three of these protein scoops in yeah. my shake? You know what I'm saying? Make a big old. We've all been yeah. there. For yeah. me, it's gas. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> right away, bad. I would be on the toilet. So if you're if your body's not being able to digest it, then you are losing some of the value of the protein. Yes. And then it makes sense to reduce the amount. But if you eat seven, now I can eat whole foods, right? I could eat a big old. 
you know, pound and a half of steak. Yep. And my body is just fine. Mm -hmm. It's not that it, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. So you, you bet your ass that I'm using all of that protein. Yeah. But I definitely notice if I were to do two or three scoops of whey protein or have a lot of dairy right away, my my stomach and, and my, my, yeah, my you stool. Know, you know what dictates that for me is uh, just personally, I can eat a whole food, um, a large amount of protein. But as long as I don't have it with a a large serving of starchy carbohydrates, mm. so if I do like a big old like if I do like a seventy five grams of protein and red meat and some vegetables non starchy, I'm okay. If I throw it with carbs, I can't digest it, and I start to have problems. But here's the deal with this, okay? Yes, you'll find studies that show that protein synthesis is better if you consume around thirty five grams and if you space it out by about four or five hours and blah blah blah. You are it's splitting hairs when we're talking about all the things that affect how your body develops and adapts. We are splitting hairs. Here's what you should dictate how much protein. Here's what you should use to dictate how much protein you consume at a sitting. Your digestion, yep. how you feel in your digestion. Much better uh, metric to use, not the studies that you see that show that oh, protein synthesis is 10% higher if you eat this much protein over this much protein. Look at your digestion. Now, when we talk about digestion, there's a wide variance between individuals. I've worked with clients who over 15 grams of protein, I had a female client once who owned anything over 15 grams of protein at one serving, and it did affect her negatively, digestively. And so that was what she ate. And we ate small meals throughout the day because she could not do more than 15 grams at a sitting. I've also worked with clients who eat once a day and would eat 100 plus grams of protein yeah. at one sitting and felt absolutely fine. It's the digestion that should dictate this for you. It is. It, don't base it off of these splitting hairs uh, studies. Yeah, I've had to cut off uh, my eating after like seven, seven thirty because anything after that is it's you know it, it keeps me up at night, it ruins my sleep, like all that kind of stuff. So that's a factor for me just to consider, you know, digestion wise. I think that's like a good benchmark. Well, have you guys sense. identified? Let me ask you guys because I know if I I I have the most uh, digestive uh, sensitivities, right? But let me ask you guys tummy issues. Have you, you call it tummy issues? Sure, <laughs> makes it sound less tough. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> That's why I do tummy issues. Yeah. Have you guys noticed when your digestion is off, how much that oh. in, uh, impacts your performance, strength, and physique? Yeah. Have you guys you're, you're fighting yeah. yourself. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. When your digestion is off and you're inflamed and you have, you're the constipated or you have diarrhea, or you're bloated, um, you, you're, you kiss your gains goodbye. Your performance in the gym is going to be crap. You're going to get sore more often. You're not going to be as strong. Your endurance and stamina will be reduced. Um, and I know too many people ignore those signs in yeah. favor of the, I'm supposed to eat this much yeah, protein. Going off all these numbers. I think that it's so arbitrary yeah, to me. Like, and it, again, that is, it's such a personal, uh, individualized thing and experience. And, and I, I really do feel like that's probably like what people should pay attention to the most is, is like how that's, you know, contributing negatively towards like your performance in the gym or your sleep or all these other things. Now, do you also think there's a wide spectrum here? Like totally. where, you know, because we're talking about the extremes right now. Either you can eat 80 grams and be fine or it yeah. messes your gut up. But what about somewhere in the middle where it kind of does? Do you think that, that even that person is losing some of the benefits of that 80 grams of protein? So maybe uh, you get a little constipated a little bit or maybe you like your, your stool is a little loose, but it's not like perfect or ideal. So it's affecting you, but it's not affecting you so streamed where you feel debilitated from it. Like, you know, in, in the past, I would push that. Uh, those minor signals with myself and even with my clients. And, you know, years ago I had, you know, a really, really bad uh, autoimmune reaction in my gut. And that really caused me to take a bigger look at things. And so the way I, I actually changed the way I train people 
And if they got a little bit bloated, if they got a little bit constipated, a little bit loose, loose stool, we would still adjust and we saw way better results. It's not worth the trade, in my opinion. Yeah, and Rob Wolf actually just addressed this on his uh, on his podcast and he, he posted on his Instagram literally just like two days ago. Um, and he and he alluded to that, I, you know, I think the bodybuilders got this right. Like he said that, you know, this idea of, you know, six small meals because of the, the slight benefits that you get from the protein synthesis mm-hmm. spike every single time you take in about 30 grams of protein. He goes, it's probably the most ideal way, but I also agree that it's like you're, we're splitting hairs, the difference here. If, if you, someone could handle digesting it in all in two meals, you're fine. You're not going to lose yeah. gains because of that, unless it's affecting your digestion. Also consider this. Here's the real big reason why bodybuilders do that. It's not for the protein synthesis spiking. The reason why bodybuilders do that is they're eating 5,000 calories Yeah, no, a day. I've discussed this on the podcast. Yeah, try eating 5,000 calories in three meals. <clears throat> oh, you're going to feel terrible. Well, that was our big debate early on, right? Because we came out talking about the small myth, uh, the small meal myth early, right? And I was the one who took the stance to support it and, and to and then, challenge. Back then, you were eating, again, like 4,500 calories. Yeah, I was eating five, six meals a day. And and that was my comeback to that because we were dispelling that myth to you know the, the masses saying that, listen, this whole idea that excuse me, that you need to eat five, six times a day is wrong. But if you're somebody like where I was at and you're eating 4,000 plus calories a day, like good luck doing that in two meals, especially if you're doing it healthy. It's easy to get 2,000 bad calories driving Mm -hmm. through Jack in the Box, but try eating 2,000 calories of yams and chicken breast. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like Just a bowl of yams. Yeah, no, you're not getting it it down in one sitting like that. Or if you do one, you're not doing it twice a day. So it was, I almost had to break it up in four to six meals. Next question is from Dylan James Russell. I'm curious about whether or not a massage helps promote muscle growth. Also, do massage guns actually work or are they a marketing gimmick? Uh, I mean, indirectly, yes, right? Yeah. Okay. So, anything that that promotes blood flow and recovery is going to help speed uh, up. Unlocks like movement potential. Yeah. There's there's two ways that massage done properly. I want to make sure I say that because you can go to a spa. And you can get a just a regular massage that makes you feel better. And I guess there's some benefits to that as well. Or you could see somebody who really knows what they're doing, who knows how to work on your body in a way that improves movement and targets the areas that you need specific work on. And by the way, those massages tend to be more uncomfortable uh, than relaxing. If you've ever had like a real sports massage, it's not the relaxing spa massage. It's It hurts. But then, but then you move better afterwards. So there's two ways massage can actually help you build muscle. One is it helps you move better and unlocks better ranges of motion. Very similar, but superior to like a foam roller, right? When people do the foam roller and then they could get better squats, deeper squats, better activation, That through that process, you're probably going to build more muscle and get better results. But there's also a secondary way. It's minor, so don't get excited, but there is a secondary way that massage builds muscle. It is through the stimulating of the muscle, of, of protein synthesis, through the pressure being placed on muscle. You actually see that with stretching as well. Believe it or not, deep stretching or deep tissue massage by itself will stimulate some muscle growth. Now, I want to be clear, it pales in comparison to lifting weights. So if you just get deep tissue massages, don't expect results anywhere near even doing one workout a week. But by themselves, they do stimulate a little bit of muscle growth. Same thing with deep stretching. And I think this is why you see uh, like pro bodybuilders Get deep, deep tissue massage. In fact, I'll tell you what I experienced. Adam, I'd love your your your, your input on this because I know Katrina is an expert massage therapist. Um, I when I got really deep tissue massages, 
When I got off the table, I had a pump like I finished working out. Hmm. So the joke in my house right now, right? So this is brought up multiple times. I jab at her all the time. You know, that she's very, very busy between work and, you know, raising my son. Uh, there's not the same time that she has to massage the baby her, her old boy, yeah, boyfriend <laughs> that she used to massage, right? So I used to, and I've talked about this before. When we first met, she massaged me every single night for an entire year. That's no joke, no exaggeration. Uh, and she still massages me, um, just not nowhere near as frequent. And I used to get a table massage, a deep tissue sports massage, a two-hour one, at least three times a week when I was competing. And I swear to God, like I, I attribute a lot of that to my ability to recover and grow and keep building mm -hmm. because she did, and, and, and it's for both reasons. Uh, I, I don't know how much of that I was getting the benefits of the, her stimulating me, and that's what I felt. What I really felt was the recovery. Mm -hmm. Was I would go, I would train really hard, I would be super sore. She would come in and do some deep work on me, and instantly I could move again. I could go do some mobility, and I could train again. Where how I feel today, if I overreach and I'm sore, I'm like out of training that for like four mm -hmm. days. It hurts, or I'm just doing mobility, and it takes like a couple days of where she could give me that relief like almost instantly. Like I would be, I would know like what we would do is like anytime I, especially when I trained legs because my hips and my low back, I would just, that's, I had to do my deep tissue on that day and it would totally mitigate how bad I was sore the next day. And it allowed me, I feel to really scale the volume up. I can't handle that kind of volume today because I just don't have the recovery well, process. That's where I really found the value was getting a massage and then also unlocking, uh, like if I had to work on certain areas of mobility and regaining ranges of motion where it was like really stiff and, uh, you know, trying to, to do that almost dry and cold was, was a lot more difficult to a lot more work took a lot more time out of me than going in training and getting back into the workouts of it. Whereas, you know, having clients or myself go through, you know, massage therapy and then, you know, being able to then now work on uh, those specific types of mobility drills was so much more effective. Yeah. I wish I was doing mobility like I do today and what I've done for the last couple of years back when I was competing and getting massages. In, in addition. Yes. In a, I wish that. It's a great combo. Oh, it would be. Like I was, luckily for her, I was, I got away with not doing mobility back then. It was like literally part of her helping me get mobile and move again would be doing these deep tissue massages. And it was enough for me to keep progressing and growing where I did not put the effort into mobility. I wish I would have combined the two of those. Who knows how I'd yeah. feel. I want to be very clear. There's a huge difference between a massage therapist who knows oh, how to do yeah. that and one who doesn't. Huge difference. I yeah. was I was not so, a believer. So I fell in love, bro. I was, so, <laughs> she <laughs> she closed was, the shit. Yeah, that was, I tell you what, when Ooh, you get- You knew the body. When you get somebody, I mean, okay, wait, as trainers, right? So we appreciate this, right? Because yeah. we we uh, we know the body very well right. and, the, and, the, and the muscle system, right? Very, very well. So, and I know when I train a certain way, where exactly I'm sore, why I'm sore there. And it's so amazing when you can get a, a massage therapist that can just start to put hands on you mm -hmm. and without you saying or communicating anything, know right where to go to, rele oh. to release it. Oh, it's totally. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I used to be, I was the opposite back in the day. I thought massage was a waste of time. I thought, oh yeah, it makes you feel good. That's fine, but it's a waste of time. I used to think the same thing. Then I had a, I had my personal training uh, wellness facility and I brought a massage therapist in because I I wanted it to be well-rounded. Well, she was incredible. And she knew the body mm -hmm. uh, like a trainer would. She would do things like, oh, your QL is really tight. Oh, I can see that I need to work on your psoas or your glute meat is tight. Let me work on this area. Or I could see the pattern here. 
And she was excellent. She did, and she sold me because I would get clients that would come in with mobility issues, and this is what we would end up doing. I would train them, then they'd go see her, and then I'd see them again the following week. And the improvement that I saw in their movement was it was light years ahead of where it was if they were just working with me. Yeah. So I had a huge improvement. And then even with myself, I had really bad. This was back when I was doing jujitsu and judo a lot, and I had really bad tennis elbow. And she did two sessions on my forearms. And I mean, they were grueling. It was They were an hour and a half each. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. It was gone after two sessions. I couldn't believe it. So after that, I said, okay, if somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, they're they're just as valuable yeah. as a personal trainer. My I opinion. agree. And to address the other part of the question, the massage gun, uh, I do look at that a little bit more like um, foam rolling and, and something where I can self apply, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some some relief. But it's really just band aiding something that uh, you know may need a little bit more of of really like pinning down the root of the cause of what keeps getting me uh, tight, you know, over and over again. But uh, it does help to initially sort of uh, you, you know allow for you to to uh, get further in that range of motion. Work on it. Yeah, it's it, massage is uh, is literally a form of central nervous system training. That's what they're doing when they're pressing on a muscle using machine, uh, massage gun on a muscle, and it's moving really really fast. What it's doing is it's getting the central nervous system to adapt, uh, which is why muscles will loosen chill up or whatever. Chill out. Yeah, massage guns are great tools. Uh, but really, it's okay. Like any gun, even a real gun, uh, it's the the effectiveness of it, and it lies not in the gun, but more so in the person using it. So, if you have a, mas a massage gun, good for you. Do you know how to use it and apply it properly, and right. where to use it? That yeah. makes a bigger difference. Definitely. Next question is from Jassy and G. What are some muscle building tips for teenagers? Oh wow! Uh, the, the, here's the be the best advice. I so I started working out at 14 uh, at a young age, and I was right out the gates fanatical about it. Mm -hmm. And I got some advice at a, a young age. I was uh, I don't know 16 years old, and the best advice I ever got ever uh, was at, at that age. And it was this: it was make sure you have good form mm -hmm. and get strong. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't do all these different exercises. It wasn't whatever. It was get strong and, and it was special focus on squatting, deadlifting, pressing, rowing and overhead pressing. And I remember the guys told me they said, "Look, you could do all the cables and machines and angles and pump and all you want, but if you really want to pack on muscle and strength and size, mm. uh, just get really really strong at these movements. The stronger you get at these movements, the more muscle you'll see." Um, and the better results. And it was the best. It was true. Yeah. Totally true. I had true. a similar experience. Thankfully, I had a good strength conditioning coach who was, you know, really well versed in, uh, you know, the compound lifts and really just kept us, uh, you know, staying within those compound lifts and just mastering the technique and just focusing on uh, each each time we did them, improving uh, just, you know, like sharpening our, our technique and performance of it. Uh, and then we would add load and all that progressively. But uh, I mean, the the overall like message in, in uh, was was getting stronger gradually, but really just honing in on, you know, those like real impactful type of exercises that you're, you're going to be able to carry on with you from there on out. Out. Yeah, I would. I would definitely. There's a lot of. There's so much going through my head right now of like all the things that I would advise a teenager that I did wrong. Right. So um, one, uh, the over application of intensity. Oh yeah, that one's right. That's so, just you're a teenage boy, especially. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Your testosterone's through the roof. You got all kinds of energy, and, and you want it. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you're if you're at all a motivated person, like I didn't. I did not lack motivation. It was like I and I thought the the harder I trained and the more I put, especially when you watch all the hype. 
all the all the stuff on IG, all the things on YouTube, everything is built around this motivation, beast mode, yeah. no days off hype. And that just fed right into my teenage mm -hmm. mind. Like it was just like, yeah, I got to go kill it to get big. And, you know, that that would be the first thing. The next thing that I would say is it, it took me until my 20s before I actually calculated my macros where I actually sat down and like started back then we had to do it long form, right? They have great apps now that make it very easy for teenagers. Back then I had a calorieking.com book. I had to write it on, on pieces of paper to figure that out. So, uh, and that's why too, I always advise this to all clients, no matter what your goal is, regardless of your age, because until you do that, it's really hard to get an idea of truly what your own behaviors and habits are. And I, I, I remember finding out how grossly, uh, how much I was under consuming protein and calories in general. I was burning a ton of calories and was just not feeding my body enough calories to grow like I wanted to. So, and I was, and because I was training so intensely and every day and playing basketball, no wonder I couldn't grow mm -hmm. because I couldn't quite eat as much as I was moving. So that, that that's something I would tell my teenage self. The other thing I would definitely uh, drill home, and you guys both kind of touched on it, is is the big four, big five, right? The, the, those four or five compound lifts, the bench, the squat, the overhead press, the deadlift, and the row, those movements, it, it literally should be 90% of what you do. Mm -hmm. Just get good at those. Get practice, practice those two, three times a week minimum, and your most of your routine should be built around that. You eating enough calories, training appropriately, intensely. It's not about more days. So three, four days a week is actually plenty for a young guy or young girl to grow. Absolutely. So three, four days a week, focusing on, on those lifts, eating enough calories. That's what I would tell and, my team. And you'll so. see the muscle come on your body. Right. The stronger you get, the more muscle you get on your body. But good form. And I'm going to say that again, good form. Because as a yeah. teenager, yeah. when I heard strong, I heard just move more weight. But I, I, they sat me down and they literally said to me, Get stronger, but if your form goes to shit, it's not worth yeah. it. You're not going to get the gain. So those patterns form. are going to be hardwired, uh, you know, forever. So that's like what you want to really build and develop uh, the the right habits right away. Next question is from JBLSZKW. Uh, is that a robot? Yes, maybe. Zbeetle two nine seven. What do you think of functional patterns and their stance that weightlifting in its traditional form does more harm than good? Okay. Isn't this that one goofball? Yeah. Dude. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Okay, here's the deal. Okay. Uh, he's he has, a smart guy. He's got some good stuff. He's very smart um, and I actually appreciate a lot of the stuff he does. We went at it a little bit how, how, years ago, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did. And he's now, a contrarian by nature. And, and he, But here's the problem. He's one of those like camp guys. Yep. No, it's my camp. Yes. And traditional weight training, no value, more harm than good. What? I like a lot of stuff he does and says, though. Right. I, I, I'm, I, I used to follow him. I don't think I follow him anymore. But And we and we did go back and forth. And by the way, he was very respectful, polite yeah. to us, right? Like I know we, we came at him a little bit and then we went back and forth. I know we had some dialogue via IG way back mm -hmm. in the days um, and it, it was good it was very he's intelligent he has a lot of good arguments there's he has a lot of really good points for a lot of mo for most people but this goes right back to the the beginning of this conversation we had in the intro of right. talking about CrossFit and people falling in love with their modality that mm -hmm. like their way is the best way and the truth is okay so you know you maybe you're the jiu-jitsu of of you know weightlifting maybe you are one of the better you know martial mm -hmm. arts that are out there for for ultimate fighting but it doesn't mean that learning how to box learning how to do karate learning how to do all these other other modalities would not serve most people 
I just it, he's done a really good job too with like the clickbait stuff by mm-hmm. challenging the norm. And I know that's what pisses off a lot of the, uh, and, and that's just it. I don't think we got mad about it, like because he's attacking, just like we, he's attacking squat and these mm. important movements, and that we should be doing. He all doesn't this. like anything bilateral. Yeah, he wants I everything noticed. unilateral yeah. and rotational. Which, yeah. hey, guess what? This I support that because I'll tell you right now, ninety yeah. percent people of, don't do it. Yeah, ninety percent of my clients would would greatly benefit a con- entire program centered around unilateral training and rotational training. Right. Mm-hmm. 100%, so but does that mean they wouldn't benefit from right. bilateral bilateral squatting right. or deadlifting or pressing? Right. Right because here's the benefit of doing things by with both legs or both arms at the same time. The load and the strength gains you get from them are tremendous. Here's the wonderful thing about strength. Strength contributes to pretty much every other physical attribute in a very, very big way. Now, it's not the only thing, right? But it does contribute quite a bit. So if you gained 50 pounds to your barbell squat or you gained 15 pounds to your unilateral lunge, which one is going to give you better, more overall strength? The squat, because the the total strength is so much higher. And bilateral movements allow that. Bilateral meaning, again, both arms and both legs. So don't get stuck in your – and he, this is his thing. He's like, you know, functional – I mean, look at the name, functional patterns. This is the best. Everything else sucks. Uh, there's value in a lot of stuff that's out there. Um, have you guys have you guys gone through his stuff in a long time? I'm pulling yeah, up his page yeah, right now. Yeah. I haven't been on his page in a, in a really He's long got time. a lot of good stuff. I, yeah, I recommend you know. people go check him out and learn from him, but yeah, don't his, get his, stuck. His, he it, works a lot on people's gates and, and posture and like helping people with serious like, you know, uh, spine discrepancies. And uh, I think he does a lot of really great work, but also like it, it's very much a camp. It's very much like you guys said in terms of like, uh, you know, dismissing like any other form of, of training as, as any value. And so like there's, you know, a dis service with that like you, you can't just dismiss like what has been time tested <clears throat> excuse me i'm getting choked up about this <laughs> yeah so like it you know obviously there's been value and people have gotten a massive uh, benefit from uh, muscular gains uh, by you know adding like substantial load to deadlifts and and you know backloaded squats and things like that and and you've seen that carry and transfer into to sports specifically, but also just general health and, and fitness. I, I like his stuff. I just, you know, I think that we live in this social media world, right, where yeah. everything gets just exaggerated. And the more, the He's more, firing against what everybody else is and doing. And not yeah. just that, but the more, I guess, extreme and, and uh, absolute your statement is, the more uh, views you're going to get and the more yes, attention you're going to get. Yes, yes, yes. And, I, you know, and, and the, the defending him more, right, like where I can get behind. Like, I mean, we, again, at this episode, we talked and we love to poke at, poke at CrossFit. Why do we like to poke at CrossFit? Because people are so married yeah. to that idea. So I get that. Like we do a little bit of that of ourselves, the way he goes after the squat and deadlift and challenges the way everybody thinks because the strength community is so married to that way of training that's like, you know, and I here's as much as we promote it because we think that a majority of people need to learn or work towards it, it doesn't mean that I have not trained a ton of clients where we never squatted or deadlifted. Yeah, right. That has happened many, many times where that isn't we I want to get them there. But I could train some people for years, and we may never get there. And and that's to his point, and the things that he thinks that most clients should be focusing on. So you know, I I could get behind a lot of stuff that he says, but it's- you know, the thing about exercise is this: is there's general truths uh, that'll apply across the board. For example, progressive overload is going to get you stronger, build more muscle. Strength is a great physical attribute that contributes to other physical attributes very well. Um, there's there's general truths, right? Um, but aside from that, it's a very nuanced conversation. And when you're just on Instagram 
uh, which is a short social media kind of, you know, media posts and stuff like that. You got to make these kind of absolute statements. But the reality is, and here's, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is the reason why uh, Adam, Justin, and myself, and Doug decided to do a podcast and not to do other forms of social media. Yeah. Fitness is a conversation. It can't be answered in a statement or a, or a single post. The conversations are quite nuanced. Why Why do we know this? Because we train so many people. Mm -hmm. And I got my paradigm shattered all the time. I would have an idea about what fitness was and how it worked for everybody. And then I get a client that would throw it all out the window. I, I remember when I thought, you know, nobody should be vegan. It's it never, never should be vegan. Humans evolved eating meat, blah, blah, blah. And then I worked with a couple clients where 100% they felt better not eating meat. And so my paradigm was shattered and I had to look at it from a different standpoint. This has happened so many times. It's a very nuanced conversation. Yeah. And one thing you should do, especially if you're hiring a trainer, when you hear a trainer who's like, no, that this is the only way, everything else is, you got to be careful with that. That's somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience working with lots of people. Yeah. Again, it's a it's a nuanced conversation. It's complex Fit, Yeah, conversation. fitness is an, an ongoing conversation. It's something that's ever-changing, too. And you don't have the same body, uh, you know, the entire way through applying the same formula. You have to change it up, too. And, the, you know, that's an inconvenient truth that, uh, you know, people have to deal with is that your body changes, you get older. Like, there's all kinds of new variables that get presented to mm -hmm. you, uh, you know, with health issues and other things that uh, arise and so so this is something that is a continual thing that you need to look into and peer into. Totally. Look, go to mindpumpfree.com and go check out some of our guides. They're all free and there's lots of awesome information you can learn from. We wrote all of it, so you know it's good. You can also find all of us on Instagram. You can find Justin at Mind Pump Justin. Me at Mind Pump Sal and Adam at Mind Pump Adam. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.